Hello, Mary. Hi, Michael. Right. Let's talk about a practical example, right? Mm -hmm. Let's take a practical example in your life. Okay. Think of something you've done that is unconventional. Something that, mm -hmm. that people maybe thought was a bad idea or didn't support, but you did it anyway. Okay. This is a really silly example. Um, I like silly examples, especially <laughs> if it involves food. No, it does not involve food. Um, but so I, when I came to US um, at a young age, I... What do you mean young age? You are still young. Younger. Younger. Youngish. Okay. <laughs> I just looked around and realized a lot of people, uh, um, a lot of the youth in the US don't really depend on their parents financially. So I decided um, I'm going to be independent financially as soon as possible. And that was really difficult, but still I did it. And... One summer, I was so out of money. Um, I took on a job that's really stupid <laughs> and um, didn't really earn any, well, that earned me enough money. But mm -hmm. like, if I just would have asked my family for help, I could probably avoid doing, maybe maybe it's a waste of time. I don't know. I mean, no, it's, it's just a, that's a good story. That is a good story. So uh -huh. basically, you did something that most, I would say, Chinese students wouldn't do. You came here and you tried to make it on your own. Without mm -hmm. any support. No, I mean, obviously, there are some Chinese students who come here, they, they can't ask their families for help, but you could. Mm -hmm. And of that sub-segment, you chose not to. Mm -hmm. Right? And most, I'm sure most of your friends would have been surprised and probably were wondering what you were doing when you could have gotten help, right? So you didn't want their validation, so you did what you thought was right. Right. And even though like, it could be a wrong, stupid thing. <laughs> it could be. Now, okay, so let's think about this, right? So the question you asked is, you asked me before is, how do you practice this in the real terms? Now, you, now let, let's unpack what you, you've done this, right? Big risk, I'm guessing you could have run out of money, right? So knowing the risk, how did you, in your mind, justify it? How did you determine it's worth doing? Uh, I guess part of it's stubbornness and part of it is um, I... Um, so you're stubborn, that we know. Uh -huh. <laughs> but if you're stubborn, it, you could be stubborn, but you also know you could run out of money, right? So you knew you could run out of money. Why did you do it if you knew you could run out of money? Did you think you wouldn't run out of money? Or did you think that, well, it doesn't matter, I'll figure out something? I just know I will figure out something else. So here, uh -huh. you didn't have the answer. You did it anyway, knowing you could run out of money. But you thought that even if you run out of money, it can't be that bad, right? I guess so, yeah. Now, you're touching a very good point here. A lot of times when we choose to not do what we think is right, we become so obsessed with pursuing a goal that others have said is an important goal mm -hmm. that we do everything to get it. So it's not that we don't want to do what is right or what mm -hmm. we think is important for us. We idolize this goal because mm -hmm. people have created so much value around it that mm -hmm. we want to get it. And we'll do everything to get it and anything to get it. It's like when MBA students want to go after McKinsey. They do some pretty stupid things, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> okay. Honestly, I think they do some pretty ridiculous things like interviewing at the wrong times and spending you know, lots of money. Mm -hmm. Just crazy things, right? Mm -hmm. But what they don't understand is they don't ask themselves, what happens if I don't get it? How bad is it? Now, if I don't get it, for a lot of them, it's about stature. They lose face. They lose credibility. Right. They think they're not worthy. Right, so here, the failure is not as bad as we think it is if there are no witnesses. If you fail at something and no one knew you failed at it, you actually wouldn't feel bad about it, right? I mean, come on. Sure, you may feel a little bit bad internally, but if no one's going to make fun of, about it, if your friends are not going to remind you about it every time you get together for Thanksgiving, it's not so bad. That's right. So one of the tactics I tell people is that if you want to do something bold, don't broadcast it. Do it okay. quietly so there's uh -huh. no expectations. You don't feel the pressure. Because as soon as the pressure builds up, then you say, oh my God, the pressure is so big, I can't fail. Mm -hmm. I now have to seek expert help. But if you 
if you work under the radar and if it fails, you're okay, that's when you can take risks because you know there's not going to be this track record of failure. Sure, there will be a track record, but it's your own track record. No one needs to know about it. So I always tell people that if you want to do things and you want to do things in a different way, special way, don't tell people you're doing it. Do sure. it yourself. Keep it uh-huh. quiet. Uh-huh. And then when you succeed, then you'll get what you want and maybe then you can tell people. Mm-hmm. But if you fail, it's your own failure. Right. I know a lot of people say that um, you know a good motivational technique is to tell people about your goals because then you can't fail. Right. I think that's a very bad motivational technique. Because then you are not doing things because it's important to you. You're doing it because you want to not fail in the eyes of someone else. And that's not a valid reason to do anything. So keep it private. <laughs> no one needs to know you failed, right? You right. Know, so it's a very famous example from the media. Uh, Rudy Giuliani. Do you know Rudy Giuliani? Mm-hmm. The former mayor of New York. The man who cleaned up New York. Have you seen pictures of New York in the 70s and 80s? Have you seen pictures of New York in the 70s and 80s? No, but I heard how bad it was. New York was a disaster. The New York population actually declined going into the 70s. That's how bad it was. I mean, I always think Mayor Giuliani never gets enough credit for what he did. And the last time I was in Times Square, it was so, well, not nice, Times Square, but you know, generally it's a clean city now. It's safe, right? He did that. He made New York worth visiting again, right? He came up with this theory where he said that whenever you want to pursue a big goal, right? Don't tell the media. So Mm -hmm. don't tell the media that you're trying to lower crime by 90%. Because if you hit 88%, do you know mm-hmm. what the headline will be? You failed by 2%. Exactly. And that's all uh-huh. people remember, the narrative around the failure. So it's a similar thing here. When you broadcast it, you're creating additional pressure on yourself to you know, subscribe to the norm. A lot of things, for example, we do at Firms Consulting, no one even knows we're doing it. We'll do it in secret until... And sometimes we don't have to tell people we're doing it, right? We mm-hmm. don't have to tell people we're doing certain things. I don't see the reason. It's on a need-to-know basis, right? So a lot of experiments will try it, will fail, and will say, well, we failed. No one knows, so it's okay, right? You're not a failure if you don't have the title. Because a failure is a title. It's not a personality type. No one knows you failed, you're not a failure. So the easiest way, so for me, when people are doing all these things, just let nobody know about it. It dramatically reduces the pressure, right? And it's also, you know, a motivational technique. Don't put pressure on people. I don't think it's a good way to manage people. So all these Rocky movies made you think that if you put pressure, you will succeed. Uh, really? You really don't believe putting pressure on people is going to make them work harder? No. Let me ask you something, right? The climate change debate. How many stories have you heard about the world coming to an end? Uh, so many that I Have don't you ever know. heard a positive story about climate change? No, not really. I've never heard a positive story. I've never heard a story saying, if we just get together, we can create a great world. <laughs> I've never heard a story saying, well, climate change is coming to Antarctica. You can buy beachfront apartments. I've never heard that story, right? So you've got all these gloom and doom stories about how you need to switch to electric cars. When did people start switching to electric cars? When it's become cheaper. Not really. Tesla is very expensive. Well, when it's when, when, when it shows people start that you're... switching to Tesla. When uh, let's see, when it becomes the cool thing to do. When you feel good about driving it, right? So my point here is I think about all of this gloom and doom stories and, you know, presidents sitting up there and saying we're going to change it, but nobody shifted on electric cars until Elon Musk made it cool to drive a battery-powered car. Basically, Elon Musk is selling you a car that mm-hmm. children drive. That's what he's, you know, you know a battery-powered cars children drive? Elon yeah. Musk made it cool to drive a battery-powered car. I mean, that's what he's uh-huh. done, right? And that's when people shifted. Now tell me something. What about all the pressure to change the environment? All, all those pictures of dolphins dying and the world burning, that didn't do anything, right? No, not really. I mean, people will only change if they are absolutely threatened or if they feel that they, f- if they feel good about themselves. Now, here's the thing. You can't absolutely threaten people because life will be horrible, right? 
Imagine if the only way to get people to vote for a crime measure is to hire a bunch of people to hold them up. Life would be horrible, right? That would be horrible. So you have to motivate, you have to inspire people. You have to make them want to change, right? Right. I mean, no matter how many times you tell your husband, look, you have to look at me lovingly, I'm going to leave you. He's not going to look at you lovingly unless he loves you, right? You have to make him want to love you. You can't just say, you must love me. That's not going to work. It doesn't work because it just can't work. You can't manufacture a feeling that's not there. Now, I was a tough taskmaster as a partner. I pushed people. I made a lot of people cry, really. A lot of people have cried under my watch. But one of the things I've learned very quickly is that if you hire the wrong people, you have to push them. You have to put pressure on them. If you hire exceptional people, you don't have to do that. If you hire the right people who are inspired and motivated, you give them a big, worthy goal. And you create a boogeyman, a competitor, and tell them that this competitor is going to kill you. Uh And then people will move. But I don't believe you need pressure. And it's a myth. You don't need that kind of pressure. I think you have to work smartly. And Uh you have to to really focus on doing what you love. But I don't think you have to put pressure on people. But you get things done. You get things done. That is true. But maybe you shouldn't have hired that person in the first place. I think putting enormous pressure on someone is basically a failure of leadership. It's a catch-up strategy. We fail Mm -hmm. at certain things. We now have to catch up. We wouldn't put pressure on you to do it. In Mm -hmm. fact, Mm -hmm. pressure doesn't work on someone. What do you do with them? You fire them, right? But maybe you shouldn't have operated in that sector in the first place if you couldn't succeed. Maybe capital should have deployed, been deployed in another area whereby the firm is better able to operate. So pressure doesn't work. Surely you need to hit deadlines, mm-hmm. but it's a question of how you go after the deadline, right? Right. Do you go after it by excessive pressure of failure, uh-huh. or do you go after it by being inspired? There well, are two of course. Routes. I mean, the better one is, of course, to be inspired, but... Um... Yes, now when you go to church, right? Uh-huh, I do. Do you feel inspired after the sermon? I do. Right. <laughs> you do things because you're inspired by God and your scripture and your and the belief system, right? You, God is not putting fear into you, right? No, not really. No, I mean, not at all. I mean, come on. <laughs> so you're not doing this because you're scared. You're doing this because you feel that I feel good after I do this. I feel good when I do this. I feel good when I help others see things the way I do. You feel good when you share your experiences. And think about everything in your life. Besides taxes, how many things do you do because you're afraid of it? Voluntarily. No, no, nothing really. Nothing. Uh-huh. Nothing you do, you do because you're afraid, except things you have to do or forced to do it. I guess I go to gym sometimes afraid of, uh, because I, I'm afraid of not having good health. That's true. You go because you're afraid of not having good health. There's no pressure on you to do it. You, it's self-induced, right? You've decided that uh, maybe, maybe it's health, but maybe you decided that your definition of what good looks like is to look in a certain way, right? And that could change. So, so do you think, okay, so this is interesting. Do you think to convince people, uh, so to be a good leader, to, 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 to convince people to change their idea, the more useful tactic is to inspire them and not try to give them all the negative consequences of not, if they do, don't do, what we recommend they would fail that's a very different question because here we're talking about about one person motivating themselves right then we're talking about a company or someone leading a company when you uh-huh. lead a company you haven't had the luxury of building it correctly you haven't had the luxury of hiring all the people you want you don't have the luxury of picking your shareholders you have people with the different belief systems when you're running yourself you can choose your belief system when you're running a company, you have shareholders that want to do things their own way. Sometimes you have to put pressure. So oh, okay. leadership should be about inspiring people, but you need tough love as well. Leadership is about doing difficult things to get the job done. And leadership is not about being nice. Remember, the core of leadership right now, I mean, this may change in time, is to protect shareholder value. Think of a company as a cup, right? Okay. You pour a liquid in that liquid you're pouring in is capital. 
Okay. That capital is then going to be used to, you drink the capital to, to do certain things, right? That capital can very easily flow to another cup. Shareholders will decide where they're going to move their capital. We mistakenly become obsessed with a company. Like maybe you use Lululemon gear, right? Uh -huh. And you fall in love with Lululemon and you don't understand why shareholders are moving their money. Don't they care about the company? The truth is they don't care about the company. They only okay. care about the returns. They don't care about, and this is how capitalism works, and it should work this way. We tell these stories about companies that you must care about, you must love the product, because that's mm -hmm. what people want to hear. But the reality is, company mm -hmm. is merely a vessel for shareholder money. And as soon as that money is in danger, shareholders must move mm -hmm. it elsewhere to get a higher return. And you may disagree with this and say, but that's not true. I don't believe in this. But every time someone tells me this is not true, I'll ask them a very simple question. If you have a 401, would you leave it in a company that's producing a lower return? No. Exactly my point. So you mm -hmm. get all these people telling you, well, I don't think about this. I worry about the company. I worry about the employees. But forget about what they say. Watch how they vote with their 401. If you are moving your money where you get the highest return, it doesn't matter what you say. You are doing exactly what shareholders are meant to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So I always tell people, you know, why are you complaining about what countries in Africa are doing about leadership and so on? When you vote with your shares to back a Western company that's backing this, you are indirectly endorsing it. It's very simple. We make these decisions and we pretend we don't make these decisions. Let's wrap up that podcast there, right? Okay.